The darker side of Instagram is a world of untold stories. A world where 14-year-old boys convince strangers not to take their own lives. A world where teenage girls are told that it's glamorous to commit suicide. This is a quote from an investigation led by backbench editor Jess Insall into whether Instagram is fueling Britain's mental health crisis. In this week's podcast, I spoke to Jess and fellow backbench editor Lauren White about the good and bad sides of social media. Here now with more news, debate and opinion. Hi guys, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hi, thank you very much for having me. So today we're talking about Backbench's investigation into Instagram and mental health. Jess, you led the research. Can you summarise your findings? Is Instagram fueling Britain's mental health crisis? The first thing that I think is really important when considering this argument is that it's such a huge issue that there is no one issue that's fueling it or no one cause. And when I looked at Instagram, I went online, I created myself a research account so I didn't clog up my normal account. And um, I followed all the accounts I could find related to mental health. Um, I talked to lots of people from the community, people who have positive experiences, people who have negative experiences. And I discovered that it didn't seem like it was fueling the mental health crisis. It seemed like a product Mm -hmm. of the mental health crisis. And Lauren, do you agree with Jess's take on this? Yeah, like I really agree with that because I think it's so easy for everyone to just kind of scapegoat Instagram and like all social media for the problems that we have, like saying, oh, it's an unrealistic body standard and and all of that kind of thing. But like there is something else that's driving people to go to Instagram and like post what the posts and kind of become a community of people who are suffering like terribly. And like it's not Instagram that's fueling that it's something else and something much bigger I think. This topic is obviously very sensitive for a lot of people. Jess what inspired you to start the investigation? Um, I think as a journalist but also as a teenager um, mental health was always a really really big issue and so was social media Um, but you see when people report on social media and mental health they always talk about what's (laughs) gone wrong and they always talk to the experts and they talk to Instagram and it's so like Lauren was saying it's so easy to just blame people but if you talk to the actual people who are Mm -hmm. being affected by this issue teenagers then it looks really different and I think it's important to get that perspective. Yeah I agree I think because like you say like no one kind of talks to the people who are actually experiencing it and if you like want an accurate view and an accurate representation of what's going on why would you not go straight to like the primary source of it all so I think I think it's yeah. It's like yeah. a, a very good thing to go right to the beginning and start from there and then build out. One of the interesting things about the research is that um, the sources in the story were all anonymous. And, and a question I was thinking when I was reading it was, was it difficult to get people behind these pages to open up or were they really forthcoming with their experiences? It, it surprised me because I thought it would be really difficult because it is so anonymous and it is so um, such a taboo thing to talk about. But as soon as I went there and I told them, I can keep you anonymous, I'm not going to put your name on this, I'm not going to reveal who you are, they were all really, really happy to talk to me. So people who I thought wouldn't say a word would have full conversations, we'd be talking all night about everything, not only about Instagram, but also just about their life and about 
how they are just normal teenagers who probably <laughs> go to schools with your brothers and sisters and kids and whatever but they have this hidden hidden life on Instagram because they don't feel like they can tell anyone at school almost all of them told me that they didn't want to tell their parents about their mental health issues whether it was because they didn't want to break their parents heart because that's a horrible thing to put your parents through and if you already feel like you're not worthy and if you feel like you're a bad person which so many of these young people do then they don't want to put their parents who they love through all this I think they wanted to be heard as well you know I would say actually the very fact that there are in like that they create these Instagram pages and stuff like shows you already that they want their voice heard because they've, they've had to kind of find a channel of communication somewhere to say what they're feeling so I, I do think actually I'm not I'm not personally surprised at how how open everyone's been with you when you've done this investigation because of that I think it's I think it's really productive actually I do think that that like was a big part of it and a lot of them told me that Instagram was their way of expressing themselves and yeah. it was a way that they could they could talk about who they were openly and they could make their account whether it was artwork or memes or anything mm-hmm. that accurately reflected their personality and they didn't feel judged for doing it yeah, yeah. And when you say they were using memes and I mean, what what are they like? Is it memes in the sense that we're used to seeing? Um, it was quite a mixture. So it's the same kind of meme formats that we have with all of like the the jealous the jealous girlfriend memes and all of that. But it was very much based around mental health and it was about issues that people with mental health face. So it was things like some of them were making fun of how bad mental health services were. Some of them were talking about what it's like to have mental health issues but it was a light-hearted spin on it so I think for a lot of people who have mental health issues they felt like that was a good place where they could go and laugh about issues that they felt affected their daily lives but other people didn't feel comfortable talking about. That's really interesting it's a more form of expression and community rather than always being negative but on the flip side uh, the investigation highlighted that Instagram does have some measures to protect people from the harmful content that is out there. For instance, when searching for phrases such as hashtag self-harm, Jesse found that a banner pops up warning the user that, quote, posts with the words you're searching often encourage harm and even lead to death. If you're going through something difficult, we'd like to help. It then asks the user if they want to get support or click see posts anyway. Do you think Instagram is doing enough to protect vulnerable users? Um, I would say, in general, probably not. Like, I don't think there are enough restrictions, I think, on a lot of the things that are posted there. But it's so difficult to kind of gauge whether or not they're doing enough. And because sometimes when people are posting stuff on the self-harm hashtags and everything, it's it can help them a lot because they're finding other people who are going through the exact same thing as they are. And so people at the lowest are feeling part of a community, which is something that they don't get elsewhere, which is why they've gone to Instagram, I think. Um, But I think at the end of the day, like a link to a helpline can only go so far. And I think it kind of, it's not really down to Instagram to prevent suicide and self-harm. It's it's definitely elsewhere, like government, NHS. it's, It's much bigger than just Instagram protecting vulnerable people, I think. Yeah, from what I saw, if you restrict those people, then you're taking away 
their support network if you restrict any mentions of self-harm or suicide or depression then that takes away a huge community from these really vulnerable teenagers and I think it is so easy to just blame Instagram Mm -hmm. but really I think we should be thinking about why these teenagers are turning to Instagram happy teenagers don't post videos of themselves self-harming yeah I agree completely one of the story sources was behind the Instagram account at Mental Health Support 14. And this was a more positive account, posting the artwork and supportive quotes. But when I searched the profile the other day, because I'm just really nosy, um, I couldn't. So I was just wondering, you know, is the person all right? Are you still in contact with them? Yeah, we're still in contact and he is OK. He was having some, he was struggling with his mental health a bit, but he's a really sensible guy. So he took down his account for now while he focuses on his own recovery um but he is okay and he's fine and we've been talking a lot on his other account that's non-mental health related well that's very good to know as we've already discussed the taboo surrounding mental health is obviously one of the reasons people turn to instagram accounts to express their anxieties amongst your own friendship groups is mental health openly discussed or is it still a Mm no-go subject interestingly in the friendship group that i have now it's like always discussed like most days whenever we see each other we're always talking about how everyone is but i think that is down to the fact that like majority of us in the group struggle with our mental health and we have like diagnosed mental health conditions so i think that kind of explains why we always talk about it but actually in friendship groups that i used to be in Um, when I was like really struggling with my own mental health actually and I went through a a period of self-harm and um, depression as well that was like you just didn't talk about it and no one spoke about it because there was no kind of support there and no one had any idea about how to support anyone so I don't know whether it's the fact that now we're a few years on from that and now it's kind of more acceptable to talk about or whether it was just genuinely just kind of we just didn't talk about it because no one wanted to talk about something as what they thought was alien and I guess strange as that. Yeah, no, I do think that like with issues like that, <laughs> young people seem to be more open to talk about it than older generations. And I think that was for me one of the things that seemed like it was fueling the crisis is that teenagers, 14 year old boys, were left telling people not to commit suicide because their parents and their support networks and their teachers weren't there for them. And I think my friendship group is quite open about it and most young people mm-hmm. tend to be more open about it. But that means that kids are left with the burden of doing that. And that's not good for anyone's mental health. I had a lot of friends struggling with their mental health and they didn't feel comfortable turning to their parents or turning to their teachers. So it leaves a huge burden with young people. Yeah, I will say actually as well though, I think in terms of friendship groups, I think a lot of it depends on gender as well. Because I think if you if you look at the typical kind of teenage boy friendship group, I think it's very, very difficult for them to open up and discuss each other's mental health. So I actually, I actually think it's it's quite um, polarising how, how much people talk about it, depending on different factors as well. Yeah, and I think that's a really dangerous thing. Young boys are told not to think about their feelings and not to talk about their feelings, not to cry, not to be open about mental health issues when it's such an important thing to talk about and feeling comfortable talking about it is often the first step to recovering. 
it's really interesting that you bring up the gender issue and it's made me think when you were doing the research Jess what was the gender balance of the people you were talking to it was almost all girls it was most people the youngest kind of people I talked to were 11 or 12 and the oldest were in their early 20s yeah I know it was it was quite shocking actually seeing 12 year olds post about suicide it's not something that you think about but it happens and it's important that we know that that happens. There was statistics that came out recently showing that 22% of 15-year-old girls had self-harmed. Um, and shocking. thinking, yeah, that most people that age or maybe, yeah, more than half of people that age probably wouldn't even think about it and wouldn't even talk about it and don't, wouldn't be mature enough to talk about it. Yet such a large number of young girls are hurting themselves. Mm. So we've obviously talked about benefits psychologically that Instagram can have, but what exactly is it about this platform which is helping some people? I think it's a mixture of everything, to be honest. I think it's the fact that they feel that they can go online completely anonymously. They don't have to tell anyone. There's no expectations of them to be a certain way. And they can just be exactly who they are and they can make new friends. So... A, who I was talking to, whose name I can't reveal. Um, he met his best friend on Instagram. He's from the Netherlands and he's 14. And his best friend is from Sweden. So um, it's like a global community. And it's incredible seeing how tight-knit the community is. Almost everyone I talked to could refer me to someone else to talk to about it. And they were all very connected and all seemed to know each other. It's really interesting that it's very international. It's helping people connect with people that they may never even meet in person. That probably in itself is a reason why it's attractive. Yeah, I think there's a point in that actually, because it's kind of, it's forming, I think, well, in real life, um, I think those kind of people who are self-harming and things, there aren't actually that many people like around you who are doing the same thing and who are kind of willing to talk about it or even you might not even know they're doing it so I think to go online and to be able to create this online identity and this this presence and find other people it kind of just it makes so much sense for them to go online and do that because they're finally being able to talk about it with someone who actually is able to understand exactly what they're going through and like it's not no wonder that they make you know like really good friends and genuinely form a strong community from it yeah no I would just like to add that like the sense of community is so strong that it can actually have detrimental effects because these communities can convince people to do things that they shouldn't be doing and don't necessarily want to do so there was a lot of comments on posts almost making self-harm an admirable thing saying oh those cuts are so deep those it's such a brave thing of you doing and that sort of negative encouragement can be really damaging. Yeah, I do think that is that is definitely something that is quite concerning. I think even not necessarily just for the people doing it, but I think for people who've kind of been clean and haven't self-harmed in so many years, like who might kind of go on the little Instagram hashtag just for one kind of look at it again and to see things like that. And I think that is that's where I find that to be very, very dangerous, I think. It's not just self-harm where that could be a problem as well. You often see posts on 
your social media of people who've struggled with eating disorders and yeah. then because they go on social media and they see all of you know models or whatever and then it's this kind of bubble or an echo chamber of one mm-hmm. message and then it, yeah it leads people to relapse so I suppose that is the flip side of anonymity because one it's a sense of freedom but then also there's not necessarily always going to be that regulated support network yeah. that, that there is with social services yeah that's true that's quite true it's it's just completely unregulated the whole thing which I think can obviously lead to disaster in a lot of cases I think yeah no I did see that was a huge overlap between the kind of mental health and um the eating disorder Instagram which could be a whole nother story but it's huge and the hashtag thinspo and all of those things and hashtag Anna um for anorexia um, there were huge amounts of really, really negative posts about like idolizing starving yourself and not eating and losing weight and being horrendously thin. And um, but there were also a lot of positive accounts about eating disorders. One person I talked to, um, she was like um, using Instagram to show her journey from as a recovering anorexic. And she said that using Instagram was really good because she could look back and see how far she'd come. Yeah. I think the thing is, is that we know that social media can have a detrimental effect on everybody's health, not just young people, (laughs) everybody. Um, And in fact, the independent publisher study claiming that apparently the average Brit checks their phone 28 times a day. I, I would personally say I think I check my phone way more than that. I don't know. How often do you guys think you check your phones? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Because oh, I yeah. have, like, tweet notifications on for, like, Laura Coonsberg, Katya Adler, BBC Breaking, yeah. um, Theresa May, like, all of the different big accounts. And every time yeah. I tweet, I'm running to grab my phone. I wouldn't even like to know how many times a day I check my phone, to be honest with you. It's, it's definitely unhealthy. Definitely. I mean, I don't even have a watch because I use my phone as a as a watch so yeah obviously I'm looking at that a lot <laughs> once you start looking at it then you see the notifications and then yeah. you're on it for the next five hours um but I suppose the question is, is do the benefits of social media outweigh the negatives I think they do I would I'm a staunch advocator of social media having damaging effects but also being overall a good thing because we wouldn't be where we are right now talking to each other over Skype if we didn't have social media because we're all in different parts of the UK. Um, yeah, I'm actually Everything <laughs> about... Um, oh, yeah, different parts of the world. But um, everything is... Everything that we're doing at the moment, our whole lives are basically built around social media and the amount of new discoveries and amazing friendships built through social media have completely transformed people's lives. See, at, at the moment, um, I think the, there are a lot of benefits that just do not outweigh the negatives of social media in terms of, I think, the bullying that people face and the, the vulnerability that people kind of project on there. But, like, I am also, like Jess, just a, just a huge advocate for social media because there are so many amazing things online and on social media. Like, it's been able to put so many people in contact with each other. It's connected so many people with politics, you know, like, even, like, in terms of just music and music artists and stuff, like, everybody is literally connected to whoever they want, whenever they want. And so I think 
I think it has the definitely the potential to for the benefits to totally outweigh all of the negatives because it is just such a such a great opportunity to kind of I think educate yourself as well on a lot of things and I, I do think I think one day it's definitely gonna it's definitely gonna rise from the ashes of all of the negatives for sure. Social media is still such a new thing and the world's still figuring it out like it's not perfect at the moment and it probably never will be perfect but as yeah. we as a globe we discover more about what works and what doesn't work and how to regulate things without restricting things then it will get it can only get better from here yeah i agree i wonder whether because the negatives of it are about this regulation issue and the question there is whether as we've already discussed whether that's instagram's responsibility or social services and i thinking from this discussion maybe social services should integrate their work a lot more through social media because the way it generally works at the moment is that you as a person go and ask for help but maybe it should be the the other way and that they can reach out like you did through the investigation jess see these accounts and try and help people that way i think that's like a really really good idea i think that if social services to be they should be keeping up to date with social media because even like when there's the government proposals like there was the um a wee while ago it was some of the politicians were saying that they should ban all anonymous accounts things like that are so out of touch hmm. even the things when amber rudd was talking about how she doesn't really know how whatsapp works uh that was a long time ago but um it was it's things like that you can see how out of touch most politicians are with social media maybe maybe they will listen to this podcast and think do you know what we're doing this completely wrong and the whole world will change because that would that would be great (laughs) (laughs) fingers crossed for that well thanks for coming on to the podcast guys it's been really good and I generally feel like I've gained a lot of insight into this whole other world of social media thank you very much thank you for having us here now with more news debate and opinion If you are affected by any of the issues raised by this podcast, Samaritans is available 24 hours a day to provide a safe and confidential place to talk. Just phone 116-123 or visit the website www.samaritans.org. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can continue the conversation by writing for Backbench and if you like the podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. See you next week.